Thank you for joining us for the Ravenswood Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Dustin Moore. We are a Bible-believing, grace-driven church located on the north side of Chicago. As a church, we are passionate about making disciples of all people for the glory of God. If you would like more information about our ministry, visit ravenswoodbaptist.org. Now, here's Pastor Dustin. Join me this morning in Joshua chapter 20, Joshua chapter number 20. When you came in, you received a handout. That'll be of value to you. You're more than welcome to obviously use that. Last week we saw, we saw the giving of land allotments to the 12 tribes was being finished. But truth be told, there's still some land to give. There's still some people who need their inheritance. I told you last week that the Levites were not given an inheritance in Canaan like the other tribes that had come straight from the mouth of God. And maybe you're like me, maybe you sometimes wrestle with understanding Old Testament passages and the nation of Israel, and I I think the book of Joshua, I, I hope, has helped us to get a little bit of a grasp of what happens here going forward, but the, the Levites had been told by God that they were not going to receive an inheritance like the other tribes. Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses said, The priests, the Levites, and all the tribe of Levi shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire in his inheritance. Therefore they shall have no inheritance among their brethren. The Lord is their inheritance as he hath said unto them. The Lord is their inheritance. So I explained to you last week very briefly that the work of the Levites, the daily ministration of the temple and the sacrifices and the go-between from the people to God and God to the people was a, a, that was part of their inheritance. They were blessed with an opportunity that no other tribe had. But they did not receive a region, if you will, like the other tribes. Now, I need to remind you of this because in Joshua 20, where we are today, we deal with the first section of the Levitical cities. These cities are not new for the Israelites, meaning what they're being told in Joshua 20, what we're reading in Joshua 20, is not the first time that they're hearing this or the first time that it's been explained from God. In chapter 20, Joshua appoints this, what we know as the cities of refuge in Canaan. As we will see, there are six of them, three cities on the east of Jordan, the Transjordan, and three on the western side of the Jordan River. Now these cities are very important, and some of the reasons for their importance we're going to hear today, we're going to understand today, but these are the first of the, the Levitical cities, if you will, in chapter 21, where we'll be when I get back from vacation, chapter 21 will give us the rest of these Levitical cities, but today we start here and we, to understand this text, what I, what I want to do with you is I, I want to invite you in actually to my study and my process in study because I hope that you are learning when you come to church how to study the Bible for yourself. And so what we're going to do today is a little bit different. I'm going to ask three questions that you're free to invite, or you're, you're invited to ask with me and then 
I'm going to conclude with a statement that will spring us into what we call Christocentric or Christ-centered application. And you'll probably see this if you're paying attention on your way through the passage with me. The first question that we got to ask in studying this is, number one, why the cities of refuge? Why these six cities of refuge? Why did God command them to be founded? Why did Israel need them? Look with me at Joshua 20 and verse number 1. The Lord also spake unto Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint out for you cities of refuge, whereof I spake unto you by the hand of Moses, that the slayer that killeth any person unawares and unwittingly may flee thither, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. Here it's noted that God speaks to Joshua to tell him to speak to Israel that they appoint the cities of refuge that God had already commanded through Moses. Where did that happen? Truth is, it happened four times already in the Pentateuch, in the first five books of the Bible. They had heard about this. It's The first time is actually found in Exodus 21. Look there with me. Exodus 21 and verse number 12. This is a fascinating study, but you're going to have to bear with me today. Exodus 21 and verse 12, we find these words. He that smiteth the man so that he dies shall be surely put to death. And if a man lie not in wait, but God deliver him into his hand, then I will appoint thee a place whither he shall flee. But if a man shall presumptuously upon his neighbor, shall come, man come presumptuously upon his neighbor to slay him with guile, thou shalt take him from mine altar that he may not die. Now, this whole situation gives you and I, forgive me as I'm going to drink quite a bit today. This gives you and I a look into the heart and mind of a holy God and a creator. So why the cities of refuge? For two reasons. At least two reasons. Number one, the first reason is the sanctity of human life. The sanctity of human life. The Mosaic law that God had given to Israel through Moses stated that it was a sin against God to kill. Chapter 21 of, Josh, of Exodus told us about the cities of refuge. But chapter 20 of Exodus told us about the Ten Commandments. Quite literally in Hebrew, the Ten Words. We find these famous words in Exodus 20.13. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not kill. Which is why in verse 12 of Exodus 21, Moses writes that if someone is killed in a premeditated fashion, if someone murders in premeditated fashion, the man that killed the other was to be put to death. This is what's been eventually called capital punishment. In fact, that same chapter, verse 14, chapter 21 of Exodus Verse 14 says, but if a man come presumptuously upon his neighbor to slay him with guile, thou shalt take him from mine altar, take him from what he's doing, even take him from the very act of, of some kind of sacrifice that he may die. God is telling the people of Israel that in his economy, if you murder someone intentionally, you are to lose your life. This wasn't new to Israel though. God had inaugurated this after the flood. He had inaugurated this means of 
justice after the flood. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For the image, for in the image of God made he man. Now all that we're going to hear today is, start, is first rooted not just in the sanctity of human life, but life is sacred because life is from God. So the reason human life is sacred and Christians believe murder is a sin is because each person from the womb of a woman is made in the image of God according to the word of God. And they are image bearers from the womb to the tomb. And being made in God's image means that God is the giver of life and only God is permitted to see life come to an end or to permit life to end. This is a very important Christian ethic. It's not first about man, it's first about God. But man is made in the Imago Dei, in the image of God, and so there is a sanctity of life from womb to tomb. But in the Mosaic Law, there was a provision in Moses' law, the divine law given to Moses, there was a provision for when a life was lost unintentionally. Listen very carefully. Unintentionally. It came about by some form of accident. The person who had been the one who had accidentally or unintentionally brought about this murder or this death, I should say, He's called the slayer in Joshua and in other places the manslayer. It's where we get the idea of manslaughter. The person who unintentionally took the life of another was able to flee to the city of refuge. Numbers 35, 11, another instance of the city of refuge is Numbers 35, verse 11, we say, Then you shall appoint you cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the slayer, the one who unawares or unintentionally took the life of another may flee thither which killeth any person at unawares. So in Joshua 20 in verse 3 we saw these words. I want to remind you of them. That the slayer that killeth any person unawares or unwittingly or unintentionally may flee thither. And they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. Now let me me put this in understandable ways for us this morning. When a person was killed in Israel, the one who did the killing, the offender, would flee. He would flee because somebody called the avenger of blood would pursue him. Now, who is this avenger of blood? The avenger of blood is typically the next of kin to the one who's killed. So the moment, this person, by the way, might have been a legal heir to something that uh, was, was passed down. The moment the death took place and the avenger or the next of kin heard about the death, the, the scriptural appointed way was the avenger of blood was to seek out the one who is responsible for the death. Now that person might be, uh, might be responsible because he murdered intentionally, but he might be unawares of the death and it might have fleed. And God's economy, now listen, God's economy was that the avenger of blood would seek to take the life of that person because they're responsible for the loss of life of another. So the avenger would pursue the murderer on behalf of God and would kill the murderer. 
But in the situation where the death was unintentional, as we call it, or they're unwittingly or unawares even, you and I might refer to it in our day, and I know various states, so bear with me, have different indications of this, but we might refer to this as manslaughter. The offender could flee to a city of refuge and find refuge from the avenger of blood. So the first reason for the city of refuge is the sanctity of human life. It is one of the ways in which God says every life matters. And if you take a life, I'm going to take your life through the avenger of blood. But if you, do, if you accidentally take a life or unawares you take a life, you can flee to one of the cities of refuge. And so not only do we have the sanctity of human life, but second reason for this is the justice and mercy of God. The justice and mercy of God. Now, I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you to stay with me the best you can. This is both a way in which we see the justice of God and the mercy of God. In his, God and his justice called for the murderer to lose his life. But the one who is responsible for death, by accident or even unaware, could receive mercy at the city of refuge. In fact, God goes so far as saying that if they killed the man who accidentally caused someone to lose their life, then they would have shed innocent blood. If you killed somebody who had killed somebody unaware or accidentally, and you took that person's life, the, God said you just took innocent blood. And Deuteronomy 19 said that when they entered into Canaan, listen, innocent blood be not shed in thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. So blood be upon thee. There was to be nothing in Canaan. There was to be no moments in Canaan where innocent blood was shed. Now, this is a very, very heavy topic, but very important for us to grasp. So we see the why. It's the sanctity of human life. It's the justice and mercy of God. Number two, the second question, what happens at the cities of refuge? What happens there? So um, the man who unawares or unintentionally took the life of another for whatever reason, however accidents like that may happen, flees to the city of refuge. This is actually well explained in Joshua 24. So let me read verse 4. And when he that doth flee unto one of those cities shall stand at the entering of the gate of the city, he shall declare his cause in the ears of the elders of that city. They shall take him into the city unto them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. And so the man who flees to the city of refuge, would stand there at the gate. He would tell the elders what happened. If they saw and believed that, that what he had done was, in, was unintentional or that he had nothing to do with it by his account, they would give him a place to live among them. But if they see that he killed intentionally, if they hear his story and they go, no, this doesn't sound right. Notice what Deuteronomy 19, Moses told them about this. But if any man hate his neighbor and lie in wait for him and rise up against him and smite him mortally that he die and fleeth into one of these cities, then the elders of his city shall stand and fetch him thence and deliver him into the hand of the avenger of blood that he may die. I hope you get what, what, what is explained here. A man kills in premeditated anger, malice, wrath. He kills somebody and he flees to try to get away with it. And he gets to the city of refuge and the elders say, no, this this." This was premeditated murder. The elders would hand him to the avenger of blood. And the avenger of blood who had been pursuing him would now be responsible from God to take this man's life. 
But if this man was determined to have killed without hatred and without intention and might even been unaware. Verse 5 of Joshua 20 tells us what would happen. Look there again. And if the avenger of blood pursue him, then they shall not deliver the slayer up into his hand because he smote his neighbor unwittingly and, he, and hated him not before time. And he shall dwell in that city until he stand before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the high priest that shall be in those days. Then shall the slayer return and come unto his own city and unto his own house, unto the city from whence he fled. Now let me try my best to explain this. The offender would live in the city of refuge. Okay, so the man unawares, unwittingly, unknowingly took the life of another. He flees. He gets to a city of refuge. The elders hear his case. He's taken into the refuge. The avenger of blood is not permitted to take him. At some point, this man is going to be given a chance to go back to the place where the, where the, the death happened, and he's going to stand trial. Notice Numbers 35, verse 24. Then the congregation, this is in his previous town, this is where the death happened, the congregation shall judge between the slayer and the revenger of blood according to these judgments. There's a trial. There's a jury. And the congregation shall deliver the slayer out of the hand of the revenger of blood. And the congregation shall restore him to the city of refuge, whither he was fled. And he shall abide in it unto the death of the high priest, which was anointed with the holy oil. So, if the man, after standing before his peers of his hometown, is cleared of intent... He is delivered from the hand of the avenger of blood, the revenger, here he's called, and he returns to the city of refuge. So he's gone city of refuge, back to his hometown for trial. Now if he's cleared, he goes back to the city of refuge. And he has to stay there until the death of the high priest. After the death of the high priest, the man is now permitted to go back to his hometown, and he is welcomed back there. For however long his life. Why after the death of the high priest? Why that moment? Because the death of the high priest marked an end of an old era. And provided a new era for the manslayer. This is very powerful. Third question. Where were the cities of refuge? It's a good question. Now we get a picture of where these cities are located. And they appointed Kedesh in Galilee in Mount Naphtali, and Shechem in Mount Ephraim, and Ker Joth Arba, which is Hebron, in the mountain of Judah. And on the other side, Jordan by Jericho eastward. They assigned Bezer in the wilderness upon the, mount, the plain out of the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth in Gilead out of the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan out of the tribe of Manasseh. We're going to put these up on a map for you here. I want you to see these the best we can today. The first one I want you to see is Kedesh. All right? I can't see this. Can we kill the stage lights? There we go. We got Kedesh. Uh, right up here is Kedesh. They're up there in, in Naphtali. The second one, so it's a very far north. The second one is, is Hebron. Hebron is down here. Uh, where do we go here, Hebron? There's Hebron right down here. It's one of the southern portions of Canaan. The third one is Bezer, excuse me, uh, Hebron, mountain of Judah, and then, and then on the other side of Jordan by Jericho. Did I get them all here? I'm, I'm a little bit losing my mind here. And then Bezer in the wilderness. So there's Bezer over here. So on the other side of the Jordan River there, there's Bezer. 
The next one is um, out of the tribe of Reuben, Raboth of Gilead, out of the tribe of Gad. And so here we go up here to Gad. There's Ramoth, Gilead, right up here. There we go, right there on the far east side of Canaan. And then Golan and Bashan out of the tribe of Manasseh. And so there's Golan up here. And so we've got, uh, we've got one, two, three. Uh, there's Shechem right there. I missed Shechem. Excuse me. There's Shechem. And then there's Bezer, Ramoth, Gilead. And then there's the, uh, the fourth one right there in Golan. The sixth one, excuse me, in Golan. Now, these cities on the east have been designated by Moses in Deuteronomy 4. I won't take time today to take you back to that. What is important to note here, listen very carefully, this is so important. What's important to note is that none of these cities were any more than one day's journey for any person in Canaan. None of these cities, wherever you were in Canaan, if accidentally in your field, and you, by working in your field, you accidentally or unintentionally by some fault not of your own, a man died, you could literally drop everything and flee within one day and get to a city of refuge. That's why they're so strategically located. That allowed the manslayer to get there before the avenger of blood got to him or her. So we've got the why, we've got the what happens there, and we've got the where are they. The fourth, and this is a statement, is this. The point of all of this is there's a sure refuge in these cities. There's a sure refuge in these cities. Look at verse 9. This concludes the chapter. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel, and for the stranger that sojourneth among them, that whosoever killed any person at unawares might flee thither, and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. This is what was promised in these cities. The elders there would provide safety from the avenger of blood until the man had his proper trial. God had provided, he had provided a means by which these, these, whether man or woman, could find refuge. But as this verse notes, it's very important that it, that it notes, not just the Jew could find refuge here, but so could the stranger. So, so could the non-Jew. So could the Gentile. Because God was, in all of this, he's reminding us that he is extending his mercy, his provision of mercy to all people, not just Jew. And so in all of this, as I told you, this is a, a, a sacredness of all human life, not just Jewish life, but all life, and that there's justice and mercy available to all people. So God says, this is, these cities are available to anyone. And so in all of this, let me just say, and you might be picking up some of the pieces that we need to see today, but let me say there is so much water out of the well of this passage and these, uh, this topic to draw. I just don't have time today to do that. These cities of refuge form, listen, one of the most powerful pictures of the sinner and the coming gospel of salvation. If you are like me, and you are like the Jew, actually, as well, we need we need pictures. We need pictures to our understanding as like a child's view of life is first formed by pictures and by seeing. In this picture, the sinner who has broken the divine law is pursued by the avenger 
which is God's justice. The avenger, the justice of God, follows the sinner who's broken the divine law with a sword drawn, exclaiming as he pursues, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And the, the, the avenger of blood comes to every sinner, as with the cities of refuge, and says, you have sinned against a holy God. Your sin is to be, in God's justice, is to lead to death. But as with the cities of refuge, as with the cities of refuge, the picture of the gospel of salvation, when it came to the city, there was no discriminating of age. There was no discriminating of ethnicity. There was no discriminating of gender or status. All who had broken the law of the, of the manslayer were welcome to come to the city of refuge. All who had sinned against the divine law were free to find refuge from the avenger of blood. And just as they are pursued by the justice of God, listen, and the, the avenger, which is God's justice, pursues, listen, my friends, so the mercy of God invites all, all to come to the city of refuge, all to come to the Father. For all who are welcome to come to, their, to the city, to the gospel, to find mercy and have their life spared by God. And here's the good news. God does not discriminate in his gospel to the rich or the poor, to the old or the young, to the male or the female, to the Jew or to the Gentile. All are welcomed into the city of refuge. And I hope you see this picture today. And so I want to conclude all this by taking some time, and bear with me, to point us towards the Christocentric significance of these cities of refuge. And I want you to see, I want you to see today, believer, sinner, and saint, because the gospel is for the believer and the unbeliever, to the sinner and saint today, I want you to see why the gospel is a place of refuge for all people. Let me be clear. Let me be very clear. I believe everything in this passage, everything in this picture from God points you and me and the Jew as well in this day towards Christ and the gospel. Allow me to show you, and I know every passage, we don't pick apart all the typology, but let me give you some of the typology in this text. For instance, I want you to see the names of the six cities. And I want you to see what every name means. Listen, number one, the first city is the city Kedesh. The city Kedesh means holy. Holy. Located on the far north of Palestine was Kedesh. And Kedesh is to point us to the Holy One. The angels in heaven see Jesus as holy, holy, holy. The unclean spirit on earth cried out in Mark 1, 24. Let us alone. What have we to do with thee? Thou Jesus of Nazareth, art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. Jesus was the holy Passover lamb that was without blemish. And he's the righteous branch 
that Jeremiah, Jeremiah prophesied about. He is holy. If he had one sin, if Jesus had one sin in him, he would not be able to save you or me. So listen very carefully. Let the Kedish, let the Kedish of Jesus, the holiness of Jesus be on your heart and mind. Let it be a refuge for you this week. You can run to your Kedish. You can run to your Holy Savior. You can run to the sinless Son of God and find refuge. The second city is a city called Shechem. Shechem means shoulder. Shechem is located in a valley among the hills of Ephraim. It was a gorgeous city, one of the most gorgeous in Palestine. But in all of its beauty, it pointed to the strength of a Savior. The strength of a Savior, not necessarily the muscular frame of a Savior, but the, the, the strength of a Savior who would bear the sins of the whole world on His shoulders. Isaiah 53 verse 4 says, Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. My friend, Jesus, your Shechem, bore the load of sin on him that in Gethsemane caused drops of blood on his brow. Nobody else could bear this. Nobody else could place on their shoulders. No angel, no priest, no prophet, no animal. Jesus did. And he bore it, carrying it all the way to the cross. Joseph helped him with the carrying of the cross. But only Jesus carried the weight of every single sin that you and I have ever committed. This is what the gospel, this is what's available in the gospel refuge of Christ. Is a Savior who carried all of our sins on us. The weight of our sin is lifted from our shoulders and placed on Christ. In Him we find ultimate reprieve and refuge. Number three, the third city is the city Hebron. It means friendship. It might also have an indication to fellowship. This is the most ancient city in Canaan. In Christ, our refuge, we are made friends with God. Brought into eternal fellowship with the Father. Because of our sin, we had forfeited our fellowship with God as Adam had in the garden. But we also had our arrows directed at God, as you know, because we were not just sinners. We were enemies. We were at war with God. We were not friends. We were not in fellowship. And so who could bridge the gap? Who could be the, the refuge that would unite a holy God and an unholy man? Who could be our Hebron? Only a holy, only a Kedish, only a, a Shechem of a Savior whose shoulders could bear our sins. He could unite us. He could make enemies friends. And so Jesus, our Kedish, Jesus, our Shechem, makes us to come into Hebron, into friendship with God the Father. Oh, the blessings and the riches of this city of refuge that is the gospel. It's available to us. The fourth city is the city Bezer. It means fortress. It has the implication of being a rock. Its precise location has never been discovered, but it's believed to be on the rocky mountain heights of the great Mount Nebo. Bezer reminds us 
that Jesus is our fortress. And Jesus is our rock. Away from Jesus, we are in great danger. And apart from Jesus, we're in danger of the avenger of blood. Justice that's demanded by the holy law of God. But listen very carefully because Jesus is our fortress. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. It is Jesus who is our salvific fortress. Along with that, not not only is Jesus our bezer, our fortress from the punishment of sin, from the avenger of blood, but hear me, Jesus is our fortress. And the pain and the heartbreak and the suffering of this life. He is a fortress for all, for all who come to him. Can I say to you this morning, to the weary, to the brokenhearted, grieving, overwhelmed, lonely one today, Jesus, your fortress. Jesus, your rock. Jesus, your bezer stands ready as your refuge. Reminded me this week of the great words of the the hymn writer named Augustus Toplady, one of the best names of all time. Jesus, our rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. You can hide yourself in this city of refuge. The fifth one is the city Ramoth. Ramoth means exalted. Jesus is the true Ramoth. He is the true exalted one. He had been despised and rejected, crucified and murdered. He was an outcast and an exile. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. But now Jesus is exalted. He is seated at the right hand of God. And he is the Lord of lords. He is the king of all kings. He is the Ramoth. And that one day, all who are in Christ they too will be exalted to rule and reign with him and to enjoy this city of refuge. But lastly, the sixth one is the city Golan. Golan means rejoicing. Rejoicing. It's the most northerly city on the east side of Jordan. Rejoicing or joy is what Golan means. Jesus is the true Golan of his people. He is the true joy. They they may have, God's people may have joy in other people and other things, but their chiefest of joys is Christ. And isn't it fitting that Jesus, who is our great joy, came as the angels sang that first moment to the shepherds that he brings good tidings of great joy. Listen, Jesus is our Kedesh. He is holy. Jesus is our Shechem. He shoulders our sins and our burdens. Jesus is our Hebron. He makes us friends with God. Jesus is our Bezer. He's our rock and our fortress. And he is the Ramoth. He is the exalted King and Lord. And Jesus brings us Golan. He gives us the deepest of joy. And so in all this, my friends, Jesus, he is in the gospel, our city of refuge.
Every one of us. Every one of us sinned. And the avenger of blood came after us. And the only hope, the only hope for our life is if we make it to the city of refuge. If we make it to the city of refuge, then the justice of God can't have us because when we go to trial and we, go to, we, we stand before the Father and the Father says, why should you receive this? My answer is only Jesus. The only reason that I shouldn't die is because Christ died in my place. And so what does this say? Quickly, it says, one, Jesus is a complete Savior. My friends, Jesus is a complete Savior. Many of you, unfortunately, believe Jesus was only your get-out-of-hell card. But Jesus is a complete Savior from the moment you got saved to the moment you take your last breath on earth, Jesus will still be more than you could ever imagine. And that's why Charles Wesley said, Thou, O Christ, art all I want, more than all in thee I find. He's a complete Savior. Secondly, Jesus only is able to be our refuge. There was no refuge for the manslayer in any other place than in the cities of refuge. And there is no refuge for the sinner in anyone other than Christ. Let me take it further. If you're a Christian today, there is no refuge anywhere else other than in Christ. Your practical refuge today is still only Jesus. Number three, Jesus is ready to receive you with open arms. This is all building on the city of refuge. Could you imagine? Man unintentionally kills his friend in the field and he flees and he's, he's running and he's running and he's running and he's running. He's got to hurry and get to the city of refuge because he sees the avenger of blood is chasing him and he's, he's sprinting. Huffing and puffing, he makes it to the gates. And he's welcomed in. And the elders say, you are safe here from the justice that's coming. My friends, Jesus stands ready to receive you with open arms. He will cast none aside. He will ignore nobody who comes to him for salvation. He's an open-hearted and open-armed Savior for all people. Number four, Jesus' death for sinners on the cross, listen, means the gospel guarantees your freedom. Did you notice, did you notice when the manslayer could finally go home? When the death of the high priest happened. Why? End of an old era, beginning of a new era. Let me remind you what happened. In that moment, could you imagine? There you are in Shechem. You've been there for 25 years. Your family, your spouse, your kids are all back at the home city. You're simply waiting for the death of the high priest. Word travels fast. Gets to you. The high priest has died. Could you imagine that moment? Tears. Joy. I can finally... Go home. It means that you are free. And you are free through the death of another. 
Jesus, our high priest, died. And in his death, it was an ending of an era. And the offering of a new era to all who would believe in him for salvation. Hebrews 7.26 says, For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice for, for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself, himself. My friends, Jesus, the high priest, died. And it is the death of Christ. It is burial and his resurrection that enables you to come home. In your place, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, the high priest, you, listen, you are eternally safe and you are free. Imagine the tears, the joy. I, I ask you this morning, do you realize that when you ran to the city of refuge to find pardon in Jesus Christ, does it move you to that kind of joy? The tears. The remembering that you were in bondage, but now you're free. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and are saved. Today, today I say to all the sinners who don't know Christ as Savior, and I say to all the saints who do know Christ as Savior, you can run to the gospel city of refuge where Jesus awaits you with open arms. The high priest has died. He's been buried, and he's risen again, and he has freed you forever. When you see the cities of refuge, you remember that every single one of them was pointing you to the refuge of the gospel. The refuge of the gospel. If you don't know Christ as your Savior today, there is no other. If you ran to Jerusalem, there's no refuge in Jerusalem. If you went to Bethlehem, there's no refuge in Bethlehem. There's only refuge in the place God appointed. You can come to Christ for salvation. And if you've come to Christ for salvation, why are you trying to seek refuge elsewhere? Why? It's only in Jesus. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at ravenswoodbaptist.org. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Ravenswood, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Chicago and around the world.